All right, you guys, I am so excited for the conversation today. I have with us John Acuff. He is a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including his most recent Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, Finish. Give yourself the gift done. He is an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speakers and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people in conferences and companies around the world, including FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, Comedy Central. His large and highly engaged social media following includes nearly 300,000 Twitter followers, more than 180,000 um, Facebook followers, and more than 125,000 on Instagram, and more than 90,000 email subscribers who look to him for a unique blend of humor, honesty, and hope. He lives outside of Nashville, Tennessee with his wife and two, two teenage daughters. His latest book, Soundtracks, will be available in April of 2021. John, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to see you again. So you got, yeah, again, so you guys, uh, we have some crazy, like, uh, common mutual friends. Um, I actually saw John speak live in person, and he's absolutely hilarious. Uh, his um, knack of knowledge from working in corporate America and being able to apply it to now being a solo entrepreneur for what, over 10 years, over a decade? Uh, it's eight. It's eight now. So. Okay. Okay. But you've, you've went over that hump of what the five-year hump. So, uh, and how many books? Seven? Seven books. Yeah. Seven. Um, it's been, it's been a blast. And then, you know, refiguring everything out. I spent 10 years getting really focused on live events and then they all became illegal um, almost <laughs> overnight. So I got the chance to try new stuff. Isn't that like forced growth? Isn't it like yeah, exciting, yeah, no, but also frustrating at the same time? Yeah. It's one of those where I went through like eight weeks where I was like, this is like, oh, I'm grumbling and I'm mad, but I came to like, I came to a point where I could pine or I could plan. So I could pine how things used to be, or I could plan how they are now. And so I was like, all right, enough pining, enough complaining. Like it's time to roll up the sleeves and build some new stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a balance of taking what we've learned from the past, planning for the future. I always say this, but it's actually what's happening right now. You have to constantly be pivoting and, and it's a hard thing for a planner for someone like me. Oh yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> you, you're not just a planner, you create planners. So yeah, right. I, that, that is challenging. Correct. Well, let's dive into some content. So your new book, um, You've said that you've kind of been keeping a secret for like 13 years uh, before writing all this down. What made you put pen to paper with this? And can you kind of explain like the, the basis of soundtracks? Yeah. So I'll give, I mean, my kind of secret to developing a new product, developing a new company, a new speech, a new book, there's three things you always look for. You look for a personal passion. So are you deeply connected to it? You look for a real need. Does Do people actually need this thing? And then you look for a good market. Like, is the market overserved, underserved? So for me, I always look for that when I write a book. So I am somebody who overthinks. So I had a personal passion with it. I was connected. Um, the PhD who helps me research books, we asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of people said yes. As a rule, if you ever find an idea that 99.5% of people raise their hands for, you should serve that need. And then the third thing, I looked in the market and realized a lot of the books are written from a perspective of stop it, stop it, stop it, stop overthinking, stop overthinking. And my opinion was, why would I ever stop using this amazing machine I've spent years building? I'm really good at thinking, what if I just thought the thoughts I wanted to think? Like, what if I just used this machine with thoughts that pushed me forward, not pulled me back? Because I think it's impossible to tell an overthinker, just stop it. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't thought of that. Like, well, now that you said those words, like <laughs> this is all. And so that's why I wrote the book is I had those three things. I personally used 
positive overthinking in my life to completely change my life from where, you know, from Atlanta to Nashville. And so I thought, wow, the need is high enough for me to actually go serve it. So now I can go share these things I've learned. Okay. So, uh, is it subconscious mind work you're really like talking about here? Um, is it really rewriting some patterns as far as the way we think? Um, talk to me about in the general level, it's choosing your thoughts ahead of time. Most people don't even know they have the permission to choose their thoughts and they don't know how to, even if they know. So even my most type A friends who put out their clothes the night before to make sure they go to the gym. Exactly. It increases your odds. They don't pick the thoughts they're going to listen to during a big meeting. They don't pick the thoughts they're going to listen to during a big conversation. They think a thought is something you have, not something you hone. I very few people go, I've got a huge meeting, huge presentation this week, and I know I'm going to feel inadequate. So I'm going to over-prepare and I'm going to remind myself, remember, we prepared, we prepared, we prepared. In the meeting, I'm going to have that as my soundtrack. That's going to be one of my soundtracks. And so it's really about, okay, the kind of the three things I talk about are how do you retire broken soundtracks? Okay, so how do you clear out some old soundtracks that are in the way? How do you replace them with new ones, new fresh ones you create? And then three, how do you repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones? It's really about learning how to think about how you think, which changes how you act, which changes the results you get. I love it. So uh, is that how you, you talk about flipping a script? So is that the three R's that you're really using to work to kind of flip the script? The, the three R's are kind of the main framework, but then there's, there's just, I love practical, actionable teaching. Um, I don't like theoretical. There's a lot of like, you know, kind of um, really highly emotional, really kind of heady thinking kind of writing, but it doesn't tell you, so then do this. I like writing that goes, okay, here's the idea. I simplified this really complicated thing. Here's some actions you can take on a Tuesday. Here's some actions you can take on you know next month when you're in a sales meeting. And so that's what the book does is it takes this really kind of nebulous topic of overthinking, which can go a lot of different fuzzy directions and says, here's things we tested, these things worked, here's actions you can take, these things work, here's you know how to use a symbol, this thing works. And so that's, that's what's fun to me about this book is that it takes what I do, which is simplify complicated ideas with actions and applies it to the idea of overthinking. Because we all overthink. Um, and so those broken soundtracks, right, that are in our head. Um, mm-hmm. What is some surefire ways that if anyone that's listening that they're like, I want to stop worrying about this, whether it be, you know, money or whether it be a relationship or whether it be a fear or whether it be, you know, I think we all have different things we worry about. Sure. Um, and I think that we all overthink and worry about different things depending on our life, our circumstances, our age, our experience, our upbringing, um, what we've what we've dealt with. And a lot of people have dealt with a lot and a lot of people yep. don't have perspective. And I think until you, sometimes you walk the fire, right? You don't have perspective on a lot of things. Um, so tell me how for, from someone that's walked through a lot of fires uh, and, and has been actively I'm, I'm kind of asking this for myself, kind of actively been not trying to overthink in cer- certain areas. What are some surefire ways that you would give us tips? So the first thing I'd say is there's three questions you should ask any repetitive thought. I'm not talking about every thought. You have millions of thoughts a day. It would be crazy to think you should ask every thought this set of questions. No, you should ask the handful of things you tend to overthink these three questions. Every repetitive thought, every soundtrack, if you will. Number one, is it true? Is this thought I'm having about this project, this person, this situation, this past regret, whatever, is it true? Second question, is if it's, it, if it's true, 
Do you have an action step or if it's false? If you have exactly. An and, and if it's true, you still, you move on to the second question. Um, is it helpful? Does thinking about this a lot move me forward or does it hold me back? And usually it's pretty obvious. Like people always go, well, what's the difference between being prepared um, and a planner versus overthinking? Being prepared leads to action. Overthinking leads to more overthinking. Like it just spirals on itself in action. So you can be pre- like, be prepared. I love being prepared. I was prepared for this conversation, but it led to action. It didn't lead to me just overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. Third question is, is it kind? Is this thought that I'm having kind to myself? Um, and you know, the, the easiest way to, to guess that is to always go, would I say this to a friend? Like if I'm telling myself constantly, I'm the worst mom. I'm the worst mom. I was five minutes late to, to pick up line, which means I'm always late. I discount everything I did well that day as a mom for this one five minute window. I'm the worst mom. Is that true? You're the worst of all the mom. Like it's gotta be Hitler's mom. Like, I mean, if we're making a list of worst moms, Hitler's mom has to be close to the top. It's she's probably worse than you. Okay. Is that helpful? Does that make you feel better the rest of the day? Does it make you kinder to your kids thinking constantly you're the worst mom? Does it make you have a good conversation with your husband? No, of course not. And is it is it kind? Like, would you would you say that to a friend? Would you sit down at coffee with a friend and say, you're the worst mom, and then think she'd ever want to get coffee with you again? Of course you wouldn't do that. So why should we do that to ourselves? And so those are, you know, there's really easy ways to kind of stop for a second, pause and go, wait a second. I've never stopped to think, is this thought true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And when I do, I might be surprised that I'm listening to a lot of thoughts that I really, if I got to choose which thoughts I listen to, I wouldn't choose this one. And now that I recognize that, what thought am I going to replace it with? What's a better thought that's actually true, that's actually kind, that's actually helpful? So I have done a ton of work. So my routines that I did three or four years ago are not my routines that I'm implementing today. And I'm still working on them and honing them. And, and constant, there's going to be a never ending growth there. And a lot of people that are listening to this know my story and know my journey. But um, I think that we all get caught up in, in living like we used to live or living like one way. And we don't think that things need to be changed. But change is warranted a lot of times for growth. But when you're dealing with your mind, which is, you know, is a very old thing and a very old beating. I have read so many books this year on subconscious mind, our minds, how old they are, how they lie to us how they literally control so much. Our minds control our thoughts and our emotions and our emotion mastery. And in order to do that controls our energy and our energy is what is going to allow us to get anything done that day. So if we're, we're overthinking, we're expending that energy thinking instead of actually action, like you're talking about. So can you talk to me some ways that you have found, um, in, in mindset and knowing that our minds are lying to us and, and building us different scenarios? you know, it, it's easy to say, like, just tell it a good thought. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are some actual, you know, things that you would say to someone that, that was saying, I'm, I've got some thoughts that keep resurfacing, you know, I've done the three R's, it's a broken record, you know, is it just practice? Is it day in, day out? What, well, what do you say there? I mean, I think like anything, it's repetition. Um, you, you get to, you get to change it. I mean, I love that you're, you're so invested in this topic. Like Dr. Caroline Leaf talks about neurogenesis, that mm-hmm. every morning you have new brain cells, like that our, our generation has the benefit of neuroplasticity and that your brain can change. Like our parents' generation didn't know that. Like in the same way that like in the 1940s, they smoked cigarettes during the Tour de France because they thought the nicotine opened your lungs for the hills of, of France. Like, so we're always learning new things about how our bodies work. And so now we have a greater sense of, 
oh, wait a second. The things that I think are hardwired, I can actually change. I can actually improve. I can actually do something with. So for me, I'd say the same thing. If somebody said, hey, John, I want to lose weight. Um, it's taken me 10 years to put it on. I'd like to get it off in like 10 days. I'd say, well, that's that's really not very kind to yourself. Like you gave yourself a decade to put it on and you're giving yourself 10 days to reverse it. Like it's going to take some time. Here's some steps you can take. It's the same with changing your thoughts. There's things you can do that are practical, that are tactical. Um, one of the things we studied was positive affirmations. I'm a huge... Like I, sometimes people don't know this. I'm a negative person by nature. Like I work very hard to be positive. Like I am a negative, skeptical, doubtful, like where's the angle they're working? Like I don't. What's your birthday? Uh, December 19th. Okay. Okay. So I'm just very, I'm very much like that. And so over and over I was like, oh, positive affirmations are the dumbest thing. Like. I thought about Seinfeld Serenity now or like Saturday Night Live. I'm, you know, Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And I just thought they're dumb. And then I started to see all these people I respected talk about, like they would use different languages, but they'd say, oh, I give myself a pep talk. I have a morning pep talk I do or a pep talk I do during the day. Or I have a couple of mantras. Like nobody would talk about it unless you ask them. And then they'd kind of pull you aside and be like, yeah, I say these like there's these four sentences, there's these. And so I got really curious about that. Um, I tried Zig Ziglar's affirmations for a month myself mm -hmm. just to kind of test them and really enjoyed them. I interviewed Tom Ziglar, his son, to talk about, hey, to try to poke holes in it. Like we had the best conversation where it was, it was me really going, how do you stump a Ziglar? And I'd be like, but what about? And he'd be like, well, here's how you do that. And I'd be like, but what about? Like that chapter is probably one of my favorites in the book. And then I wrote my own because I'm a writer. Um, I wrote what I call a new anthem and we took 1,400 people. We did 10,000 people and then 1,400 actually gave us great data. So we, these 1,400 people gave us great data of here's what happened when I repeated them in the morning, at night. Here's what happened to my self-doubt. Here's what happened to my overthinking. Here's what happened to my productivity because I wanted to put some, some data around, again, this fuzzy topic where somebody goes, just believe in yourself. Like I love when somebody says like, you just use your voice when you write. Oh, that's the easiest. Like, why didn't I do that earlier? Like, that's not <laughs> actionable. That's not helpful. The entire world is designed to make you not who you are. Like every bit of advertisement is trying to convince you you're not enough. You should be somebody else. You should have something else. And then we go, just be yourself as if that, like, you're going to need more so tools easy. than that. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I, I would say a big thing is being deliberate about what thoughts you're repeating. I mean, my my wall is covered with note cards that remind me of things I'm trying to remember. I told somebody just the other day, because I'm constantly writing soundtracks. So I told somebody the other day, um, for instance, fear gets a voice, not a vote. Like that's a soundtrack for me. Fear gets a voice, not a vote. Because I don't like when people say, you can be fearless. You should be fearless. I don't think that's true. I think every time you do something new that's bigger than the last time, there's some natural fear. There. Growth. And yeah, you shouldn't. Like when I spoke to 10 people, I had 10 person fear. I worked through it, got over it. 100 people, 100 person fear. And so fear will always be there. It has a voice, but it doesn't get a vote. It doesn't get to be at the table and go, you're not doing that. Like it doesn't get to slam the gavel and go, we don't get to do that. So for me, the shorthand Powerful. of having a note that says fear gets a voice, not a vote reminds me, don't be ashamed if you feel afraid. That's natural. That's number one. Number two, make sure fear isn't making this decision. And so that's the power. But like I put that on a note card because I'm not just going to remember it. 
Like I know I've got 45 years of evidence. It's harder to remember good things than it is bad things. No one is ever at a grocery store and gets reminded of something amazing they did four years ago and gets this sense of like, oh my gosh, that's right. That's overwhelming yes. joy. The human, the English language doesn't even have a word for the opposite of trauma. Like we don't even have a word that means, okay, something so beautifully perfect happened to you that 10 years later, it's still impacting you. Like there's a, an amazing study about that. And so my thing is like, Fear, t fear comes free. Faith takes work. If you're going to change your mind, like it's going to take work. Like you don't have to look for negative thoughts. They will find you. I promise everyone listening to this knows this. You do have to work if you're going to take some positive thoughts and make them part of your life. We are going to take a quick little break to hear a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by startplanner.com, your tool for a more organized life. Featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc.com, Start Planner was created to meet the demands of today's busy lifestyle, helping you to plan, execute, and organize every aspect of your life in one concise system. Align schedules, to-dos, finances, health, wellness, goal setting, and clear action steps to all work together and drive results. Learn more at startplanner.com. I love it. Like I am so invested in this conversation. I could take this a million different ways. And what I love the most about this, John, is you actually, not only you wrote this book, you did the research, but you actually had people go through this process and use this as research, correct? Yeah. That's been an evolution for me as a writer um, is kind of getting to a place where I'm not the star of the book. Like when you're a young writer and you don't have access to people or you're kind of new, like it's fine. Like, like when I wrote the book Quitter, the star of the book was a guy named John Acuff because that was my whole world frame. And that was, that was fine. That was great. Um, but now the process has changed where I come up with these ideas in this office and it's, they're helpful. They help me. They're, that's great. But then I go, will they help other people? And can I do it in a way where they test the idea with me and I can tweak the idea to see what really works, but I can also use their story as an encouragement to somebody else. I want a mom to see another mom in the book. I want a single adult to see another single adult. So it's not just them going, I kind of connect with John, but it's different. Like I want them to see themselves. And so that's probably one of my favorite things in the book is there's 35 different stories where somebody would say, Hey, yeah, this is, this is how it applied to me. Here's, here's how I use this different technique. And you know, here's, here's how it impacted me. And it ends up being a much bigger, easier story to identify with because it's not just my story. And that's the, that's the gift of having generous readers like that. I have online people who are willing to go with me down that journey. It's so gracious and so generous of them. And anytime you read a book, I always say you read a book, you take a workshop, you do a conference, like whatever you you have the ability to learn from that person. They're like over a decade, two decades worth of their knowledge, their work. You can implement it and be able to reset your routines, reset your mindset, really be able to fortify your growth quicker than you could possible. So the cool thing about your book is it's really a, a combination of different people. It's not just you. It's not just your journey. It's obviously you're the, the foundation that's kind of arching it all together, but it's a bunch of different people. Yeah. The um, first, the first chapter, I think it's my favorite story in the book is about a woman named Colleen Berry loses her job during the dot-com bust back uh, 2000, 2001 ish. 
Um, she was a documentary filmmaker, had pre- shown a film in, film in Cannes, very successful, has to take four additional, four new jobs to kind of string things together. One of them was she was a receptionist in a real estate office, and she could have given in to resignation and been like, oh, this is what I always do, fear, it's going to happen again, entitlement, I shouldn't have to do this. And instead, she said, I'm going to figure out a path. I'm going to use my mindset to figure out a path. And 15 years later, she's the CEO. And like being able to tell her story and go like, that's an amazing mic drop moment. That was not my moment. Like I like, whoa, look what she did. Um, I got the interview on my podcast. I have a podcast called All It Takes Is a Goal. And so, yeah, I think that's really fun. And it takes a degree of like, I have to get my ego out of the way. Like, believe me, my ego is like, you should be every story. Like I'm not like, I have to get my ego out of the way. But I think that in the end, it's a much better book for people and it helps more people than just my own ego. Like that's one of the, one of the, one of the soundtracks that I talk about in the book is pick ROI, not EGO, like pick return on investment, not ego, because I see leaders over and over and over and over make ego decisions that hurt the company that hurt themselves. And if they would just pause for a second, go, wait a second. Um, the best decision here is this, and it's not going to give me the highest ego buzz, but it's the best decision in the, the long return. run. Yeah, it's the best return. I'm going to pick that one. So going through this uh, uh, experiment that you did and and figuring out working with these soundtracks, you talked about symbols and attaching symbols. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah. So that was really interesting. I kind of stumbled into that. Um, I, I tell a story in the book about I wanted to stop texting while I was driving. I got a huge ticket in Canada for texting while I was driving. Um, and was like, you know what, eventually I'm going to get in an accident. Like that's going to happen. And I was the worst offender. I was like doing blog posts, like texting is for amateurs. I was writing like books while I was driving. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to try an experiment. I'm going to go to the bank and get 50 cents. Oh no, I got dollar coins the first time, get dollar coins. And every time I take a trip over five miles and I don't use my phone, I get a dollar coin. I put it in a jar. And my wife was like, that's ridiculous. It's your own money. Like you took paper money, turn it into coin money. And now you're giving it back to yourself. And I was like, I don't care. Cause I think it's going to work. And I did that for months and months and months. And I stopped texting and driving. Like I no longer use my phone in the car. And so then I got curious about why did that symbol work? And I started to realize people all around the world use symbols to kind of tie a new action to. So I asked the people in the experiment, Hey, have you ever used a symbol? And they'd say, yeah, I, uh, I went hiking with my sister um, in Colorado and I took a rock from the top of the hike to remind me that there's beauty at the top, like that it's hard to get there, but there's beauty at the top. And I keep that rock on my desk. Or another woman told me, yeah, my, you know, I, I, a friend of ours, their husband painted lima beans individually for her, for, for her first grade class. And I reminded myself, I want a husband that's willing to do that for me someday. So I keep a little bowl of lima beans on the, and so I started to really study that. And then when you study it, you realize, well, duh, every brand in America uses a symbol to tie emotion to like the idea that we put Yeti stickers on our car is such a perfect example. In the 1990s, no one put an igloo sticker on their car to let you know how they keep things cold. Like, but now that's what we do because the Yeti sticker. Especially in the South. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's a, it's a symbol. Like it's a symbol, like the reason. And so like, I talk about how can you create one that reminds you, you, and it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be expensive, but some little thing that says, okay, no, this is something that I'm changing in my life. This is a change moment. And this symbol helps me remember that. And it keeps it in the front of my mind versus hoping that someday I'll remember it. And I'm, I'm not to like plug what I do here, but I feel like the biggest gift, um, 
that I don't think I even realized until I went through a period of struggle in my life, how much actually planning mm-hmm. can help with overthinking. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Because if you have a, like a lot of people worry about finances. I mean, here we are going through, a have been going through a pandemic and that's one of the biggest worries is finances and mental health and, and all this stuff. Like people are not, you know, it's just we're, we're none of us are used to a new normal. Well, if you can create a plan and the plan is not what the plan was two years ago or a year ago or even six months ago, the plan is has to be constantly evolving. And and for me, it's it's a plan for that day. Like I can get overwhelmed by all my moving parts, all my different things. And if I don't have something in front of me to give me that focus and and to to write it down and uh, talking about, you know, fear, I really feel like you're in a, either a, st- a state of fear or you're in a state of gratitude. And I love what you said, like some level of fear is good. There's healthy fear and bad fear, I feel like. And um, being in a state of gratitude, that's something I I implemented. Now I'm practicing gratitude. So- uh, And it is a practice. That's the other thing is that you you should give yourself the freedom to practice. Like these things you want in your life, like give yourself room to practice. Like, because the thought of you're going to have it overnight, it's going to be instant, or like everybody else has it but you. Again, like- is that a kind thought to yourself? It's not, you know, much kinder to go. It's going to take some time. And I'm going to, and I also, up. I really, really believe. And I really think, um, a lot of stuff that we overthink about it's, it's points of struggle or worry, but you, you said in the beginning of the conversation, this can help wrap it up. You said in the beginning of the conversation, it's faith, right? I really believe that things happen in our world that are ha- even hard, that, cause us to pivot, whether it be business, personal, relationship, financial, that cause us to pivot, that cause us to learn, that cause us to fortify growth we didn't know we needed, that cause us to etch pain in us that, that you know, different things. Like pain is what teaches us. Like as, as much as people don't talk about that, pain is what teaches us. So how do we learn? How do we grow? Really start learning to lean into that. Um, and like you said in the very beginning, like faith, like having, having faith for that. And I'm just curious, this is gonna be my last question to wrap it up. Uh, cause we, we like to keep it around 20, 25 minutes. Sure. I would imagine you didn't write this book. Like you didn't go under this book contract. Cause I know how book, book publishing works. Like you didn't sign this book being like, okay, we're going into a pandemic. Yeah. But I feel like this book is so timely because I think we were all overthinking before that, but, but wouldn't you agree that this oh my pandemic gosh. Yeah. has made it worse? So how can, what you've done in this work that I don't feel like is by chance and by circumstance, but actually an intent purpose and a plan that we don't quite get. Um, how can you say that it can apply to people right now living in a pandemic 2021? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been kind of saying that 2020 was catnip for overthinking. I mean, like we asked, we did the 10,000 person survey before 2020 and then we added 2020. Um, and you, you know, you added all these things that we all got isolated. Um, you know, I, I, I said for me, I've said, you know, a crisis is a classroom. That's what you said. Like it, it invites you to learn things you might not have learned on your own. Um, it's an invitation to inv- inv- innovation. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that's hundred percent true. And then what my experience was is that last summer in the middle of the pandemic was challenging for me, but it wasn't as challenging as it could have been because I had spent two years learning techniques about overthinking. So I felt like I learned, I spent two years learning how to swim and then the world got covered with water. And so I felt it, it, it was gave time me, to swim. Yeah, it was time to swim. And it gave me a great desire to tell other people like, wait, 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 like, here's some things you can do. Here's something, you know, you need to think about. So, yeah, I don't, 
if you said to me, would it be easier to do the book tour, book launch, whatever, if I had live events? Yeah, that's challenging. Like I joked about that, but like that is challenging. Like I was supposed to be on stage in front of thousands and thousands of people this year and won't be. Um, but at the same time, I do have this sense of, okay, I feel like it's perfectly time for a world that is currently overthinking. And if I can encourage them and equip them and say, hey, here's a couple of things I think you should try. I I'm thrilled at the timing of that. And we'll, we'll see if, you know, how many people I can help. Well, I think that it's amazing and thank you for your work. I mean, I feel like it's with intent purpose. Um, so can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get your book? Um, sure. I'm sure the book will be available, all the different things, but give them all the information where they yeah, can yeah. connect with you. Um, soundtracksbook.com. You can check out the first chapter. Um, I always tell people, you know, go read the first chapter, get a sense of, oh, okay, I do. You know, it's not just something that was on a podcast and was fun. I think there's something here for me. So soundtracksbook.com. My website's acuff.me, A-C-U-F-F.me. I'm John Acuff on Twitter and John Acuff on Instagram, J-O-N, no H. Um, and then I have a podcast. I, you know, a friend of mine, John Lee Dumas, told me just the other day, he said, the thing I try to do on podcasts is say to people, if you've got some value out of this, I'd love you to check out mine. And the way he said it was so kind. He said, you know, I know you listen to set the average person listens to seven podcasts and I'd like to be one of your seven. So go take a listen. What? So that's what I'd say. If you, if today you're like, Oh, that sounds like a fun conversation. Check out all it takes is a goal podcast. You can look up John Acuff um, or acuff.me slash podcast. There's a million ways to find it. Um, but yeah, come take a listen. See if, see if you like it as much as this conversation. I love it. Well, John, thank you again. And uh, you, you can guys, find any links discussed in this podcast in the description below. If you like this episode, please leave us a review and hit the subscribe button. It helps us so much. You can listen on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We are here weekly with brand new episodes. See you guys soon.